This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Amen and amen. Uh, before I get started, I did want to uh, encourage everybody uh, to continue. If you're submitting your questions, we're still doing that for this uh, Family Life Teaching, Ministering to the Family, Spirit, Soul, and Body. You should see a link on your screen there. You can go to our website. Um, and you can submit these questions anonymously. Uh, at the end of this session, we will look at those questions. And if those questions haven't been answered, we will address those questions in an additional session. So don't forget that. And I'm going to go ahead and get into my teaching this morning. I'm not going to do a whole lot of review. I will review, but it's going to be real quick and real short because there's a place I am, I am trying to get to. Um, so again, I just want to go over my portion. And my portion of this teaching is uh, the role of the Holy Spirit in the family. Who is responsible to lead and how should they lead? Who's responsible to follow and how should they follow? And we're discussing that for all three of the uh, the or for the husband, the wife, and the children. And then we're talking about God's instructions on how to be loving and balanced spiritually from the scriptures. And like I said last time, hopefully you've been hearing these things because these instructions are all through the scriptures and everything we've been reading on how we should lead spiritually and how we should love in our family. But we're going to continue with that today. Um, and again, we started off with what is the role of the Holy Spirit in the family. And uh, we, we started off in Proverbs chapter 8 where we found out that the wisdom is the very character of God that's been with him from the beginning. And that very character now resides within us through the Spirit of God. His wisdom, His Spirit facilitates our growth. It's, a, it's the way that we inherit substance. It's the way that we grant fruit, fruit so that we can be productive members of His family. And so we gave a definition of who is, what, uh, who is the Holy Spirit. Spirit. And we said, the Holy Spirit is God's authority in you. He is the wisdom of God to you, which causes you to grow into the knowledge of Christ, that you might be effective in all good works. And then I also wanted to remind everybody what marriage was, because we said that marriage was between two imperfect people. So one thing we have to get in our minds is that if we're imperfect, there's always going to be room for growth, especially spiritually. And so we identified what spiritual growth was. And we said spiritual growth is a process through, through which the believer increases in the knowledge and understanding of their salvation. And we said this means not only knowing what salvation has done, but experiencing the changes which occur from allowing the seed of the word of God to take up residence in you and abide in you. And we said in order to grow spiritually, you have to first identify where you are so that you can make the necessary steps to move forward. So we talked a little bit about growth and how growth is the natural process of every living thing. And in order for a thing to become fruitful, you have to first grow. And we said if you're a born-again believer with the spirit of the living God in you, you should always experience growth. And we said that your spiritual growth begins with your salvation. And just as we, we discussed before with natural growth, as it depends on you know, your natural nourishment and your mental growth depends on your education, your spiritual growth depends on your standards, it depends on the Word of God. Your standards, your convictions, everything that you, that you get from the Word of God is what's going to cause you to grow spiritually. So we said that means if you're not consistently feeding yourself, your spirit, the Word of God, it's possible to be born again and not be growing into fruitfulness not be increasing the fruitfulness. So we identified different stages of growth. 
And the first one that Minister Stinson covered as well was spiritually discerned or cut off spiritually from God. Then we talked about being babies, newborn believers, designed the sincere milk, milk of the word. We talked about being children, which are carnal believers, and, you know, they lack self-control, commitment. They think that they're walking in the, the milk of the word, but they, 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 and they're ready for the meat, but they've yet to, to actually walk in the milk of the word. They allow the, the, the lust and desires of this world to come and choke away, you know, the, the word of God that's in them. And then we also said that the last one is the mature man or the perfect man. And this is one who understands and walks in the milk of the word and has moved on to the meat of the word. And we did identify what the meat of the word is. It's learning to walk in the purpose of Christ. It's learning to, to stop focusing on self and starting to see the desires and needs of others and, and building yourself up so that you're able to give to others. That's the mature man. Now every, every joint supply, if we talked about fruit, how on a fruit tree, the, fruit, the, the tree doesn't eat itself. The fruit on the tree is for somebody else. And that's the heart and that's the mind of the mature man, one that's walking to maturity. And then from there, we, we say we want everybody to recognize what stage they are because we're going to start identifying, you know, who's responsible to lead, who's responsible to follow. And so we first started off with, in the family, who was responsible to lead. And we started in 1 Corinthians 11 and 3 where we saw that the head of the wife is the man. But we identified what headship was. What does it mean to lead? And we said to lead means the first to act, the first to, to teach, to be an example or a guide for others. It's to shoulder the responsibility and the direction of the family. We said it was the first to love and also the first to submit. Because you cannot be God's leader if you are not submitted to Christ. So the leader in the household has to be the first to submit, submit to Christ's leadership. And then we discuss, you know, how, what should the husband's leadership look like? How, should, how do I love my wife? And we saw in Ephesians chapter 5 that we should love our wives as Christ loved the church. We said that means that the husband love must be an unchanging, realistic love. You can't expect certain things. That just like Christ loved the church. He knew that there was faults in the church, but he loved us anyway. He loved us through, a, through our faults. And that's how we should love our wives. As he loved the church and gave himself for it. So we said the husband love must be sacrificial. It should be selfless. You must lay down your life for your wife. Just like Christ laid down his life for the church. And we said we have to give up certain things in our lives. Careers, they come and go. Friends, they come and go. We have to lay those things down. We have to sacrifice those things for our wife. Because she has to be our priority. We said you have to sacrifice your ego. And I have to mention this again because one of the main things that we need to help us sacrifice, I said, was lowliness, humility, meekness. This thing needs to operate in our home. And that way, that way you can lead, you can love like Christ loved the church who, who humbly submitted himself. Putting on the form of flesh so that we could be saved. That's love. Laying down your life. And then we also said, so, you know, the question was, you know, if your wife is spiritually more mature than you, how am I going to lead her? And I said, the first thing is you have to realize that what makes you equipped to, to lead is not your, your superior knowledge, your superior wisdom, or your superior insight. What it means to lead is that you as the male bear primary responsibility for you and your family's spiritual relationship. That's what it means to lead. You bear the primary responsibility. I said when you run into issues in your, in your relationship or in your family, it's your responsibility to make sure you get those issues worked out. When there's spiritual issues, it's, it's your responsibility to, to, to take the initiative to get those things worked out, to find out what God says about those, those issues. And, and I said the, the smart thing to do is if, if, if there's something that needs fixing and your wife has the wisdom, as a leader, it's time to be a good leader and delegate. She has the wisdom, then, then you delegate and get the wisdom from her to fix it. We talked about how Abraham received wisdom from, from Sarah, and God came back and confirmed it for him. God said, that's the right thing to do. 
So, we also said that the, the husband's love must be fueled by purpose. And uh, we, we said that to remember that the Christ has, I'm sorry, we have to love as Christ loves the church. And his purpose for the church was to make it holy. Was to wash it with the water of the word. And this must be the purpose, this, this what we must feel, what, I'm sorry, what must be that fuels us and our love to our wives. We have to wash her with the water of the word. Leading her, leading her, leading your family to church. Leading them in the word. Teaching them the word. Learning to discern the word. Encouraging them to, to be involved in their ministry inside these walls and inside, outside these walls. And we said the same thing goes for your children. You should lead by example. The example of Christ. So, so never give up. You have to be fueled by purpose. You have to wash them with the water of the word. You have to make them holy. And, 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 the, and the scripture says, to present her to yourself. So husband, father, you're the spiritual leader in the home. You have to be devoted to the spiritual development of your family. And then we also said that the husband's love has to be personal. He must love her as his own body. And like I said before, it's not saying that I have to love her like it's my body. No, you're the head and she is your body. So what you do unto her, you have done to yourself. These are the things you have to remember. That's why Jesus says, what you've done to another, you've done to me. Because we're the body. He's the head. So you have to remember, you have to love her as your own body. And I believe this is... No, this is not where we we started off, actually, or where we left off. But we also we went to the next question in our in our in our study here: Who is responsible to follow, and how should they follow or submit? And we had to go all the way back to the beginning here. So this is where I'm going to slow down. I know I've been kind of doing a fast review, but this is where I'm going to slow down because this is where we uh, just kind of started last one. I want to make sure we get this. So who is responsible to follow, and how should they follow or submit? And we all know that we said that the wife is her responsibility is to submit. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to do that, uh, start from here again. Um, and I, I do want to reiterate some things here. You know, in Genesis chapter 1, uh, verse 26 and 27, he said, Let us make man in our image, and he made, them, uh, he made the gender male and female. So I want you to know that female was never an afterthought. Never an afterthought of God. She was a part of the original plan. Both of them were made in his image and his likeness. There's no, there's no advantage that the male has over the, over the, the, the female. The only difference is th- that they were positioned at a different time. Of course, they do have their other differences for position's sake, but the diff- as far as if you want to call it an advantage, they were positioned first, but he was sent there to dress and to keep. There's no, there's no advantage. Everyone has their role because what he's doing there, he still can't complete it without his wife. And she can't complete what God has for her without the husband. They are equal. And then we went to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, and this is where I'm starting. And I do want everybody to remember that before this point, everything God said was good. And in the creation process, he said, everything that I've created was good. And guess what? He had already created female. And here it is in chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 18. It says, And the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help meet. So we discussed these things, what a help meet is. And, and, and then also, you know... If, he, if, if, if it's not good, like I said, God said, well, I already have something good in its place to replace that loneliness. That's one thing that I wanted to make sure I, I get across as well to, to you husbands as well who think I need to lead, you know, I just need to be far, I don't need anybody's help to make decisions. I, I need to do this alone. But he took away your loneliness and gave you goodness. So remember that when, you, when it comes to your wife and you're leading the, the home, leading is not about what I say goes and I, I need her to follow me mindlessly. That's not what it's about. 
She's there to help you. Whoever finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor with the Lord. So the help, she's a help meet. When we said, what is help? We said help is the response to a need. One who complements or completes a partner. And we said meet means she's suitable and adaptable for you. So God made, a, made woman good. She made, he made her suitable and adaptable and able to respond to your need. He made it so she could be sensitive to the needs of the family. Sensitive to the spirit of God. And so you can influence a response. He made the woman so she can influence a response to her husband in a proper manner so that purpose can be fulfilled. And then let's go to chapter 3 here. Because I want to talk about the fall. Chapter 3. And I'm going to start at 2. Verse 2. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye shall die. See, I, I want you to understand one thing here. Eve was taught the command of God. God never told Eve this. He told Adam this. And now she's telling this to the, to the serpent. So Eve was taught the command of God. She told God's command to the serpent. Let's continue. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. I'm sorry, yeah, ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now, it's just like the enemy, the enemy hasn't changed either. He, what did he do? He began to appeal to her flesh. You know, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, all of that, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, all of that is in that one verse. Your eyes shall be open, and you shall be, be as guys, knowing good and evil. And once it appealed to her flesh, we see what happens. We see, we see in verse 6, it says, And the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes. There it is, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. And, and, and a tree to be desired, to make one wise, she took, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. So, so there it was, right? It was, it was an appeal to the flesh. She saw it, and she, she began... She, she already knew the command. She already knew the command that Adam gave her. It was from God, and she still decided to usurp her authority there. A usurp means take possession of. And when I say take possession of, we, we said it before, Adam had relinquished it. It was there. That's why I said, that's why I said the, the, the role of the male is to, to bear primary, primary responsibility for the relationship. He relinquished it. He could have stopped it. He should have took initiative right there and, so, and stopped it all. But there was Eve, able to, to, to usurp authority. And I'm going to tell you what it means when I say usurp authority. Because she used her influence, what God gave her, to go against the original instruction of God. That's usurping authority. You, you know, when, when God has set a plan in the household, and the woman, is, she influences her husband to go against it, that's, that's usurping authority. See, submission has nothing to do with being able to speak or make suggestions or, or use your influence to help in the, in the home. It only becomes sin when you use it against God's purpose. Because he, yeah, listen, God didn't give you your influence not to use it. And, and, and I'm, I'm going to tell you, the, the enemy used even knowing, knowing she had influence.
And, and here's the thing about that influence, you know, because influence is a beautiful thing, but the enemy used it and morphed her influ- influence into manipulation. Y- you know, we could be as gods. This is what we, this is what we can gain if we do this, which is totally far. But all she had to do was remember the original instruction that Adam taught her for God, from God. But the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life caused her to usurp authority. And then verse, verse, verse 16, we see here what happened. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy, and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And we saw that we said that word desire was longer to control, and him ruling over you was to dominate you. And, and, and that's, that's the result of the fall, because let me tell you, submission is a voluntary thing. So for a husband to dominate, listen, it's not by power and it's not by might. Submission is a voluntary thing, but as a result of the fall. She longed to control, here's another word for it, using the influence to manipulate the husband. That's a result of the fall. And, and you know, women, some, some women can attest to it. Manipulation can be done more than just through your words. It can be done in your body language. It can be done through your breathing. It can be done through all that. You know, you, your husband don't do nothing. I, you do something you don't like. You do the. What's wrong? What's wrong? Nothing. All of those type of things in the fighting for supremacy. All of that happened right here. So spiritual growth is needed because of sin. That, that was the place that we were brought to when the fall happened. So from this point on, spiritual growth is needed to get back to the image we were originally supposed to be at. So let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And I'm going to read verse 22 again. I say again because we've been here for the past three weeks. It says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. So the wife must submit to the husband's leadership. So when you enter into God's institution of marriage, no longer are you just giving him honor, but in order to maintain your honor for God, you have to now give honor to your husband. Submit and give honor to your husband because that's God's delegated authority. Are you ready to do that? A good question that I keep, you know, that keeps coming to mind is, are you ready to put on God's plan and purpose for your husband's life as it's your own? Can you walk in that purpose? And I believe this is where we got to last week. And we want to discuss, what is submission? Because like I said, the, the, world skew, the, the world's view of, of, of submission is something skewed. So I'm going to start by saying a few things submission is not. And I said this one earlier already. It's not mindless obedience. In other words, that doesn't mean that the husband is always right. It's not, by, it's not being quiet about everything the husband says and, and he wants to do for the family. Not having an input. Not using your influence. It's not that. Uh, let me say this to you, wives. Godly influence is your duty. Remember, the goodness that you are is there to take away his loneliness. 
it's, it's not taking mental, physical, or spiritual abuse. You know, using, using your faith to exert your power. It's not that. That's not what, not, that's not putting somebody into submission. You know, using the word as an occasion to the flesh. It's not putting the will of the husband before the will of Christ. That means submission never requires the wife to follow her husband into sin. (laughs) If she has to choose between the two, she must choose Jesus. If a husband says something like, I don't know, let's, let's, let's do a scam or let's invite somebody else to our bedroom. The choice is clear. She has to go with Jesus. But how? Because I'm supposed to submit. Well, when you address these things with your husband, you shouldn't speak with a superior judgmental tone or an arrogant or an attitude. You shouldn't speak that way. But you should speak rather to win them. A, a submissive tone, yet an urgent one, longing for them. See, when you don't argue and yell or manipulate to reach your husband, he'll be able to recognize it. He'll be able to recognize in you a longing desire, not to control or manipulate him, but a desire that he not go against God, so that so that he could be the the leader that you that you're proud of, that God has called him to be. That's what he should sense from you, so that you can enjoy, you can enjoy him as the leader that God has placed him there for. See, it's your influence and your goodness that makes up the difference in his life. Turn to First Peter. Because this scripture, you know, this is, a lot of times it's used for people who they say are unbelievers. But this goes for, this also goes for, you know, the, the husband who's far from Christ, but are still, are still saved. Maybe they're not growing you know, maybe they're not receiving the word like they should, so they're not increasing their fruitfulness. This scripture still stands here. So let's go to First Peter chapter 3. And I'm going to read verse 1 through 6. It says, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, or submission, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the, of the wives. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be, be that outward adorning of patting the hair and wearing of gold or putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man in the, of the heart, and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God a great price. For this, after this manner in the old time, the holy woman also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. See, and I, I love that, not afraid with any amazement. That, that means, don't be thrown into a panic. Remember, I said that the husband should love as Christ of the church, but that first thing goes both ways. Don't have an unrealistic love. Don't be like, my husband's a sinner. I can't love him anymore. Let's not, let's not do that. So what is submission? Let's give, it a, let's give it a solid definition. Submission is yielding to God's fixed system of authority 
and willing, willingly arranging your life accordingly so that purpose is fulfilled. Let me say that again. And this is the first part because there's still another part of it. Submission is yielding to God's fixed system of authority and willingly arranging your life accordingly so that purpose is fulfilled. Submission is voluntary, never forced. It shows God that we will stay obedient to his design. And let me say that again. I'm going to say it from the, from the beginning. Give you time to catch up. Submission is yielding to God's fixed system of authority and willingly arranging your life accordingly so that purpose is fulfilled. Submission is voluntary, never forced. It shows God that we will stay obedient to his design. Now that being said, what does the submitted wife look like? How should the wife submit? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to go right back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. And it says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husband as unto the Lord. That's how wives should submit. As unto the Lord. That means the wife must first submit to Christ's leadership. That's why before 22 it says, submit yourself one to another, because that, it's implying that you need to submit to Christ first. It's in submitting to Christ and abiding in His Word that the wife will find the ability to submit to her husband. She'll find the ability to look like that Proverbs 31 woman. The virtuous woman. So your, your grace, your beauty, your faithfulness, your virtue as a woman, first and foremost belong to the Lord our God. See, this is for the single woman as well. If you're single and you don't realize that you're the bride of Christ, and submit to him as Lord first, you're not ready for marriage. There's no way you'll submit to the husband's head in God's institution of marriage when you're not even submitted to him. See, many people go through that Proverbs 31 scripture and they go through it like a checklist. I have to do this. I have to do that. But it's not a checklist. Let me help you out. It's real basic. It's faith in Christ that allows you to be a virtuous woman. Everything else aside of that is useless. It's dead works. We asked how, how can a submitted woman who's more spiritually mature submit to a husband who's spiritually a baby or a child, but it's, it's through submission that that difference in his, in his growing will be made up. He won't be able to grow if she's not going to submit. She makes up that difference. She helps him. But she has to be submitted to help him. Submitted to Christ. So, so the mindset for the wife is not, well, I need to lead him and the family spiritually because he's not there yet. That's not the mindset. The mindset should be, I'm going to submit to my husband by showing him how I submit to Christ. So that the husband knows where the wisdom to lead comes from. Just like you show him where the wisdom to submit comes from. 
Show them how to follow Christ. Don't show them how to be a man. You don't know that. Show them how to follow Christ. It comes from the Spirit of God. Remember, this is His institution of marriage. His delegated authority. And if you want to be that virtuous woman and take on the plan that God has for your husband's life and on your life, you have to submit to Christ first. And submit to your husband as unto the Lord. So let's, let's turn to Proverbs 31. Because we are talking about what the, the submitted wife should look like and how she should submit. And this is the perfect scripture, isn't it? Proverbs chapter 31, verse 10. Now, before, I, before we read it here, I want to go ahead and describe virtuous. And virtuous means strong, moral, right-minded, right-thinking, principled, disciplined, just, honest, honorable, full of grace. Faithful, spotless. I'm going to say those things again. Strong, moral, right-minded, right-thinking, principled, just, honest, honorable, full of grace, faithful, and spotless. It's so amazing to me when I found that, that, that definition, spotless and the virtuous, I began to think that the submitted woman can be spotless because she allows the husband to wash her with the water of the word. She, allowed, she submitted to Christ, and so she, she submitted to a delegated authority, and so guess what? His purpose is running, the spirit is running in and out their marriage, where he should be. So we're going to start Proverbs chapter 31, verse 10, and it says, who can find a virtuous woman? And you can put all those words in that were in there for virtuous that I just gave you. Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. So let's just we're gonna break this down just verse by verse. Because the heart of her husband doth safely trust in her. He can rely on her. He can rely on her, her prudence, her skill. When I say prudence, I mean her ability to, to govern and discipline herself by using self-control. He can rely on that. And the skill means not only can she do this, but she has the ability to do it well. She knows how to control her tongue, control her, her emotions, control her actions, and she does it well. Verse 12 says, she will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. That means she will always have something to add to the life of her husband. That's what doing him good means. Remember, she takes away his loneliness, which means she adds something there. Her goodness. She will do him good. She's... She's concerned with what she can do to help make her husband a, be a better leader in the home. 
And it says, there's no need of spoil. That means she always brings life. There's no lack. She realizes that all God has given her is all that she needs. She's content. She recognizes that godliness with contentment is the game that I need. Verse 13, she seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. She is, she is like the merchant ships. She bringeth her food from afar. She riseth also, I'm sorry, yeah, I'm going to go all the way through 16 here. She riseth also while it is yet night and giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. She considereth the field and buyeth it with the fruit of her hands. She planteth a vineyard. So, I'm going to tell you all what all that means. She operates out of the principle of stewardship. Both naturally and spiritually. Uh, she knows how to... Uh, she understands sowing and reaping. Anything put in her hand, whether it's something delegated by her husband, something at work or at church or, or her children, she makes sure to take care of it. She makes sure to grow it so that it brings forth fruit. You know, the life giver... Not only brings forth fruit, but she sows righteously to it with a true heart and diligent work. So whatever it is, brings forth good fruit. Not just fruit, good fruit. Fruit that can be enjoyed by others. It ain't nothing like a sour grape. <laughs> Verse 17, she girdeth her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms. She's ready and able to support her husband and her family in the times that trouble comes because the joy of the Lord is her strength. She's committed to what the Lord has brought her through the good and the bad. Verse 18. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good. Her candle goeth not out by night. She's aware that her fruit is good because it's from the Lord. It's not withering or, or like a candle or a candle that goes out, but it's the long-lasting fruit that causes growth. It's that sweet grape. Nineteen. She layeth her hands to the spindle, and her hands hold the distaff. No work, natural or spiritual, if it's honest and true, no work is too good for her. She's dedicated her life to good works. That's why she's dedicated her life to her husband and her family. That's a good work. Verse 20. She, she stretches out her hand to the poor. Yea, she reaches forth her hands to the needy. Because she's skilled and prudent, don't forget what we said earlier, and fruitful and a good steward, she has many things to give. And she's not unwilling to share these things. After all, the fruit is for someone else. So if she sees someone in her life in need, spiritually or naturally, if she has what they need, she'll give it to them. Her walk with God and submission allows her to be charitable to, charitable to others. And that charitable nature, it starts first with her in her home. So that means the way she expresses her godly love is first to her family, then to everyone else in their life that needs it. 
And again, it, it can be given in many ways. I'm not just talking about monetary things. It can be given in kindness, understanding, meekness, uh, truth spoken in love. But a virtuous woman is the wealth of all of these things because of her submission to Christ. So she's able to give these things willingly. Uh, remember, willingly, because submission is not a, it's a voluntary act. It's not, it's not nothing forced upon her. That's what makes her virtuous. Verse 21. She is not, a, actually I'm going to read 21 and 22. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. See, she doesn't fear what this, this cold world may bring her or her family because she's kept by the blood of Jesus. She abides in him and God's word abides in her and she trusts her lives into God's hands. I love this one. Verse 23. Her, her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. Her marriage and her ways are known as an, as an example. Not only this, when people see her, they can tell. When they see her husband, they can tell he must have a virtuous wife. They lead by example. Like there's many examples in the Bible. Many examples in this church. And when you see, the, when you see some of the, those virtuous women's husbands, you're like, you can tell that their wife loves them as a virtuous woman. Just like you can tell when there's some real serious issues at the house. You can tell when, when, they're, when, they're, when their lives are governed by the Spirit of God. When the husband's seen, there's no treachery on his part. He's not trying to flirt. He's not, listen, I have a virtuous woman. And she's only virtuous because the husband is submitted to Christ. So she can submit. He doesn't have anything bad to say about it to others. Because she's submitted. Proverbs 12 and 4 says that the wife is the crown of the man. <laughs> she makes you royalty. <laughs> and I love how you say crown because the crown, it, it, makes, it denotes king. It doesn't give, when you're king, there's not really a, you can't really put a price on how much they have. Because her, her price is far above rubies. First Corinthians says, the woman is the glory of the man. She shows the holiness and the character of her husband. She's put on the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. Verse 24. She maketh fine linen. I'm sorry, 24 and 25. She maketh fine linen and selleth it and delivereth girdles unto the merchant. Strength and honor are her clothing, and she shall rejoice in time to come. So, this strength and honor they're talking about, that strength for one, is endurance. And, and honor, her honest, honesty, integrity, and respect are her character. And she has confidence that if she continues in this character, that her and her husband will be joyful always. Even in the bad times. See, that's the difference between happiness and joy. The joy of the Lord is not dependent on your circumstances. 
Verse 26. She openeth her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. So, when she speaks, she's led by the Spirit. <laughs> she considers what the Lord says. She considers what the Lord wants before speaking. And when the Lord tells her what to say and tells her to speak, she does it in love, with kindness and gentleness, so as to win you. Verse 27, she looketh well to the ways of her household and eateth not the bread of idleness. She's not lazy when it comes to the management of her household, plain and simple, naturally and spiritually. In raising the children, she's balanced and wise. She listens to her husband. She doesn't try to go against anything her husband says or argue and argue with him in front of the children. And if there is something there's a disagreement about, she makes sure there's no way around and she talks to him about it. She helps the father raise the children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. She brings comfort. She teaches truth. She's respectful to her husband. She undergirds his authority. She under, and his authority is the standard of God. She undergirds the standard of God set in the home. She doesn't wait for something to happen. She prepares in case something happens. Verse 28. Her children arise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praiseth her. See, a truly virtuous woman with faith in Christ, being led by the Spirit, will be honored and loved and praised by the ones closest to her first. Because they experienced it firsthand. Her children and her husband recognize the blessing she is, and they praise her for it. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands, and let her own works praise her in the gates. That's what a virtuous woman is. That's what a submitted woman looks like. Uh, voluntary submitted. That's what she is. So what is her, whose responsibility is it to follow or submit? It's the wife's responsibility too. And it's a big responsibility. Because God's purpose has to be fulfilled. And I thought I was going to have time to get here. But next week when we start, we will start on the role of the children. Amen. So... Again, I hope you guys have been enjoying this. I've been enjoying every step of the way since we started back in May, I believe. Every step of the way. Go back and listen to it. Me, me and my wife have been listening to all these messages, all messages throughout all the week. And it's just, every, everything just resonates with my spirit. See, these are the things that help you grow. If you're looking to be the people God has called you to be, if you're looking to be the husband God has called you to be, the leader God has called you to be, if you're looking to be the wife, that God has called you to be. If you're looking to be the children that God has called you to be, because children have responsibility too. If you're looking to be the people God has called you to be, then take it seriously. Don't treat this, don't treat the word of God like school. Like you're just learning something just for a test or grade. Now I know it, so if somebody asks me, I have it. No, no, walk in it. That's, get an understanding. That's how you will grow.
This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water in Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.com.